Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're very, very happy to be joined today by a very special guest, New York Yankees pitching prospect Clark Schmidt. Clark recently was ranked the number two prospect in the Yankees system. Really an incredible rise. He was a highly touted draft prospect out of South Carolina, had Tommy John surgery, still was drafted in the first round, came out and has progressively built back up, and this year reached the upper levels of the minor leagues with a really successful season. Clark, thank you so much for joining us. When you saw that you were the number two prospect in the Yankee system, after everything you've been through with your surgery, what was that feeling like for you? Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, it's a good feeling. Uh, I wouldn't say that, you know, you're just striving to, you know, for these rankings. You, obviously, you see them. People, everybody posts about them. You, you know, you're around it so much that, you know, you're going to hear about it eventually. So it's not like something I set my goals out to, to be a, the, the top prospect or, you know, that's not my main, you know, those are my main goals. Um, but when you, when you get, when you see something like that, you definitely got to appreciate it, especially for, you know, from what I, you know, from the Tommy John and the surgery and just going from that to, to be able to see the ranking, it's definitely, a, you, you kind of pat yourself on the back a little bit, but you kind of, you can take it with a grain of salt and you can't just like sit on your, just rest on it a little bit and you got to continue to work and, and just take it from there and, you know, a lot of that, a lot of those rankings and stuff like that. I definitely, I definitely see them, obviously, and uh, I, I use it most of most of it as motivation as much as I can. I don't want to just sit there and say, "Oh, okay, I'm the number two prospect" or whatever it may be, and kind of you can you can find yourself resting a little bit and making take, taking a little step back if you if you kind of take it with too much grain of salt. Yeah, no one's goal is to just be a top-ranked prospect. The goal is to get to the major leagues and stay in the major leagues and become a top-level major leaguer. Um, Obviously, that's a process and and part of the journey. Given where you are now, just given everything you've gone through, I don't know if validation is the right word, but just knowing that, you know, hey, I'm on the right track. No, I think validation is perfect. I mean, um, I kind of know, like, personally, I I hold myself to a high regard, uh, like every other athlete should or everybody else should. You know, I... Whenever I, I kind of hold myself to a different level of excellence, and you know, whenever I go out there, every time I'm out there, uh, like I said, like I said before, I kind of use. I, I felt personally, whenever um, after the draft, obviously I had the surgery and stuff, so it's kind of hard to get like a true ranking, I guess you could say, when it comes to the rankings and stuff like that. Um, so I knew that this year was that this past year was going to be a big year for me as far as rankings go and, and recognition goes, and I personally felt like I was uh, like I I like to pitch with a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, I felt like I was underrated and I knew that I knew I like I said, I knew my work. So I I knew when I was going out there that what I was capable of doing could be worth, you know, whatever, whatever ranking it may be worth. And I knew that if I could go out there and pitch to my level and and my capabilities that I would be, you know, I would be one of the highly touted prospects. And I would my name would start being shown up a lot more in these prospect rankings. So, like I said, like I said, I use these for motivation 
And so when, you know, when I saw those, the rankings, whatever it may be before last year, for instance, and I would use that kind of stuff for motivation because I felt underranked. And now, you know, the recognition is kind of starting to come in slowly. And, you know, like I said, I'm going to still continue to to continue to grow as a player and and continue to get better just to move that ranking up even a little more and and work myself up to the major leagues. I want to go back a couple years. You had gone into 2015, college sophomore at South Carolina, big year ahead. During that year, your brother, Clay, was diagnosed mm-hmm. with cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then a year later, as you are a junior preparing to go potentially high in the draft, you tear your UCL in late April and have to have Tommy John surgery. So in under a year, your brother has received a life-threatening diagnosis. You've had to undergo a major surgery that could potentially wreck some of your dreams of going pro and going early in the draft. Where were you at mentally and, and where was your family at? Because it's two very, very, very different, but very big kind of things that can knock you down in a very short period of time. Yeah, um, so it, we're, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian and my family, is, we're, we're a very faith-filled family. Um, and it, it, was, it was really trying times, especially, you know, when not so much, you know, the surgery is a big deal and you're on the verge of making a lot of money and you know it's it's you're you're getting all the recognition and you think your your life is going to go one way and then you obviously receive the news and and that that was tragic but you know like you said the life-threatening diagnosis that's just like next level you know it kind of puts everything in perspective um going through that process with my brother it was uh you know it was obviously scary times you don't really know nobody really knew about the cancer process we didn't really know about the you know the treatments and it was just a lot of unknowns especially for a 21 year old kid who's a college athlete and you just really didn't know what was what was going to happen and you didn't know what the treatments were like and how he was going to respond to them and you wouldn't know what his future was like whether he was going to be able to play baseball again or or let alone live again so it was you know like i said it was trying times and it really tests your faith and thankfully i you know we have a like a support system around us not alone our family but our friends and um, you know, we relied a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot on our faith, and a lot of our, on our friends. They helped out so much, and it was it was something that we we were able to get through together as a family. And then, you know, with the surgery, it was just it felt like it was another thing added on top of another. Um, especially in the, amidst the season that I was having that year, it was I was having a really good year that year, and it was uh, it was obviously a, I think it was a month before the draft it happened, and it was just it was really tragic and. Um, thankfully, you know, it, it was a lot of these things that, you know, it kind of tests your faith and it's some of these things that you, you can't control and you got to kind of per- persevere through and push through. And it just adds to that, you know, it just makes that story that much sweeter when, when it's all said and done, just to, to know that you've been through that and to make it out the other end on, on the good side is, it makes everything so much sweeter. And so we're so much thankful for all this, for all these, you know, all the adversity that we've been through, it just adds, adds, to, adds to it in the end. Yeah, your brother in particular, obviously, you know, Tommy John, as you mentioned, it's something that it really affects your career and it's it's absolutely something that is difficult, but cancer is just a whole different level of things, right, yeah. you know, and also your brother going through it, constant surgeries, the constant waiting, the constant not knowing what's going to happen next. You mentioned your faith really keeping you through it, but were you able to focus on the baseball field while this was happening? Because obviously this is so much bigger than baseball. Yeah, um, it was really, really hard. Like you said, it, comparing Tommy John to cancer is apples and oranges. I mean, you it's it's just it's next level stuff. You know, it really kind of puts, like I said, it puts things in perspective, and it kind of just whatever you have going on the field, whether if you were pitching at the time, if you're not pitching good at the time, if you're if you're going through injuries or whatever it is, it, it, it just puts it all on the back burner. 
And, you know, my main focus was, I think at the time, I think he got diagnosed in around the June-July time frame, which was, I was going through summer ball. The season just ended, and um, we just finished, I think it was Super Regionals that year, and then he got the diagnosis. And I was planning on going to uh, the Cape Cod League um, that year, and I ended up, you know, I I surpassed it so I could stay home with him and and be be around him as much as I could with the treatments and stuff, and just to have that, you know, that shoulder to lean on for him. And so he could, you know, he could, he could bounce things off of me. I, I just wanted to be – I didn't really know how to handle it. You don't know how to handle it as a brother or as a family member. The, the only thing you know how to do is just be around him as much as you can and, and just be there for support, and that's what I was going to do. Um, so, yeah, it, it was like very few times in my life where I, there are times when I'm not thinking about baseball throughout the day. And those, those few months, I don't think I, I rarely thought about baseball. You know, he was my main thought process. Um, as, as he was the rest of the families and our friends. And, you know, we just, we just wanted to make sure he was our main focus and, and getting him back healthy. September 2015, he gets the port removed, has his final day of radiation. Fresh off of that, he immediately packs up his truck, drives back to Clemson where he was a player on the baseball team, <laughs> was on the field that afternoon, the final day of his radiation treatment. Um, right. Just how much of an inspiration was he for you during all this to bounce back like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I can't really put it into words how, how much he's, you know, how much that whole process in general inspired me. I think that, you know, just watching it, being a part of it, um, it, it inspires you. And when I was going through my, my surgery and my process, I think that's another thing that, you know, it, it, it kind of humbled me and it was like, okay, I'm having elbow surgery. My brother beat cancer and he, he went right back on the field and he, he competed and, and did his thing. So I don't need to be you know, it's kind of minute in comparison to what I'm going through right now. So I think, I think it kind of helped me handle my rehab process and my mentality going into my Tommy John and, and with it affecting my draft, my draft process and everything else, you know, it, it, it kind of, it changed my mindset completely just to know that my brother, you know, he went through the cancer process and he was able to beat this and then the next day go out and play baseball. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to beat this this, this rehab and, and, and give it my all and then get back out there on the field. You have your Tommy John surgery that April. You were really having a, an all-American type of season. Uh, you were already considered a potential first rounder going into that. When you found out the UCL was torn, you had to have Tommy John surgery, was, was going to miss, you know, the next year, year and a half. What was your thought process at that time? What were you thinking? Yeah, so in the moment, it's it's kind of hard to just like take a step back, especially when you're you know when you're in the midst of the season, when people are throwing all these numbers at you, you're you're projected to go, and you know I I whatever it may be, people are saying all these millions of dollars and being drafted within the top ten picks and stuff like that, and it kind you kind of lose your perspective of it when you're in the midst of it, and when when I first found out I had to have the surgery. It was just like it just took me, you know, it just took all the air out of me. You you, you think, oh my gosh, like what am I going to do with my career? Like, am I going to come back to college? Am I going to forego the draft? Am I going to go back for another year? So you don't know, really know what you're going to do. And then once you kind of get your bearings under you and you you get to sit back and you get your perspective of it and you you talk to your your agents, whatever it may be, you talk to your family, your friends, and your teammates, and then you kind of you kind of settle down and just the initial shock has kind of gone away. Um, after the surgery and everything, it's just like, all right, I'm not really worried about any of that. I'm just going to focus on my what I could control, which was I, the only thing I could control was my rehab and how I was going to handle it mentally and physically. 
And so I was just like, I'm just going to ha- tackle this head on and do my do my rehab day in and day out as hard as I can to make sure I come back stronger. Because I, I really wasn't worried. I mean, I, at first you're worried when you fi- find out you have Tommy John, but I knew that the way I handle things and w- the way my work ethic is, I knew that I was going to come back stronger. I really wasn't worried too much about how I would come back post-surgery. Uh, at the time, because it was a month away from the draft, that was one of my only worries. Really, was you know what's going to happen, what's what's my future like? Because you know, anything can happen. And thankfully, I got picked up by such an amazing organization that you know they believed in me and they showed they showed faith in me and that they they showed that they knew even with the surgery how good I could be. And so I'm forever thankful to be in probably the best organization in baseball as far as you know the rehab process and stuff like that goes. So. I couldn't have lucked out any any better. It was it was honestly a blessing in disguise for me. Yeah, when did the Yankees notify you that hey, we're still on you, you're not dropping off our radar just because you had the surgery? Um, honestly, that whole process was just kind of weird. I mean, it was it was we obviously I kept in talks with teams, um, but it really wasn't like the Yankees. I, I specifically remember one day. I think it was like two days before the draft. I was in the airport. Go. I was flying somewhere with the family and. The Yankees area scout called me, uh, Billy Godwin, and he was like, you know, he was just checking up on me. And it, it really was like a casual conversation. He was just like, hey, how are you doing? You know, hopefully we get your name. And, you know, hopefully we get a chance to you, blah, blah, blah. You know, just small talk. Uh, and that was really the only talk I had before the Yankees, right before the draft. And then, you know, the, in the, the, the day of the draft, in the talks, before, you know, before the draft with with my, you know, all the representation, everybody was like, oh, you know, their name kind of got brought up a little bit more. And then it just ended up working out. They they took that shot on me, um, and it was just you know, like I said, it was a blessing in disguise to be in such an organization. For me, it, it's helped me grow so much to be able to be in an organization that's so analytical and so advanced in their technology and in their rehab. Uh, you know, not alone in the rehab, but you know, beyond that, as far as pitching goes and stuff like that. It's I've learned so much already, and you know, I'm so thankful to be in, in such a great organization. Did you have a sense from your agent's representation that you would still be taken in the first round, or were you nervous going into draft day? Um, I yeah, I, I knew, we we kind of knew that we were going to at least if it wasn't the the middle to the beginning of the first round, I I kind of had a feeling, or we knew that there was a good there was a good good matter that I was going to get picked in the, the back end of the first round, if not the back end, definitely the supplemental round. Um, just because there was a, there was a bunch of teams that were kind of interested in that back end of that first round, and so we knew we not, not not necessarily a safety blanket, but we knew that you know there was enough teams interested in the first round that my name was probably going to be called. The Yankees pick you, still get that first round selection, 16th overall as well. It wasn't like it was at the back of the first round. You sign with the Yankees, you show up, you still have a full year of rehab ahead of you. Right, like right. You mentioned you know all the analytics, the medical treatment that they have. The Yankees is top notch. What was the process like for you? Because obviously you're a competitor. You want to get back out on the field, and it's yeah. tough. Yeah, so that was probably the toughest, like probably one of the toughest parts for me during the rehab process was like the initial, after I get drafted, you know, I don't, I, you see everyone else get drafted, and they're going out to the GCO or whatever it may be, and they're throwing these live ABs, and they're going right to the field, you know, and then the next year they're, they have their kind of feel for what they're going to do, whether they're starting in high A or whatever it may be. And that wasn't the case for me. I knew I had a whole other year of rehab. Um, you know, I just one min- one month into my rehab, so I knew I had you know at least twelve months left. Um, so it was really really tough to kind of like put that competitiveness on the back burner 
for on the field. But, you know, what I did was I just used it kind of as fuel, like in my rehab process, I kind of try to keep my head down, keep my head out of the, you know, I try to not pay too much attention to all the, like the prospect rankings and all that stuff. Cause like I said, I'm a competitive dude. So a lot of that stuff motivates me and puts an a, like a added chip on my shoulder. So for me, I kind of had to put it on the back burner and just, I'm going to use that fuel to motivate me during this rehab to keep my head down, to eat the right things, put the right fuel in my body, to, to put the right, to put the right work in, in the weight room, uh, into the rehab process, into everything. And I wanted to, to come back a hundred percent. And I knew that I was going to come back, you know, better than I was before it, physically and mentally. You spend all of 2017 rehabbing, 2018 comes around and you do get out to pitch a little bit. Uh, you make a couple of starts in the GCL, you go out and you make two starts with Staten Island in the New York Penn League. Were you starting to feel like your stuff was still coming back at that point? Had it come back? Where did you feel like you were once you were able to pitch in live games again? Yeah, it definitely was You know, still coming back at the time. I remember going through the live VP process and it's like that's probably the hardest part physically um during the rehab it's just like you know it's just a grind you're throwing two two live ab's pretty much a week and it's just it's tough you're not really your your shoulder's not caught up to with your elbow and because your elbow you know it's a new elbow in there i mean the ligament and everything everything's healthy in there it's just you've done all this shoulder work and you know the strengthening and stuff and it's just everything's not caught up you're not really in sync your body's not in sync so that was the toughest part for me like mechanically i didn't feel the best my arm was my arm was quick. I was still I, I mean I had good velo and stuff like that. I was still throwing in the mid nineties, but it was just like as far as going out there and being able to pitch and produce the results I want to on a consistent basis, it wasn't like you're out there just like you were pre surgery and you felt as comfortable as, as ever. So it was that was definitely an adjustment process. That initial like first few months out of out, like once the reins are kind of released off you and you're and you're kind of free to free to throw and do whatever you want to do. 2019 comes around you've had those few starts under your belt rehab process is done what were your thoughts coming into the year just your excitement level i mean where, where were you at mentally and physically knowing hey i can actually like go out and have a full year this year right yeah i was you know i was pumped because that that was kind of like this past year was like my i guess you could say my my grand opening for like just being healthy and being able to go out there on a consistent basis, week in and week out, get my innings, go out there and, and prepare my body to go out there and start every week. That was, you know, so I was mentally and physically, I was so excited and healthy. Um, I knew that this year was a year that it was kind of my first real taste of minor league baseball and being able to show my stuff. So for me, like once I got drafted, like I said, I never got to, the Yankees knew what they got when they got me. You know, they took that shot on me. They knew, they knew what they were getting. But they didn't really like, you know, they didn't really get to see me like all the, the whole organization as a whole. They never got to see me as a whole pitch in the minor league. So they didn't know what they were really getting. So for me, I was like, I, I want to put on, you know, not to put on a show, but, you know, I want to go out there and I want to perform at, at a high level and show these guys that, you know, what, what they got was what they expected. If not, you know, you know, they, they get a little bit more than what they expected. And I wanted to prove people wrong and, and show that the team who took me in the first round that, you know, they weren't. They weren't taking a, a flyer. It was it was more of a definite pick than people think. And you know, I, I had faith in my abilities, and I had faith in that I was going to be able to come back a hundred percent, and if not better than I was, you know, come back stronger. They skip you over low class A Charleston, send you directly to high class A Tampa. Your first start facing Casey Mize, the number one overall pick. You throw five no hit innings, no walks, nine strikeouts. 
what was that like for you? Because again, you've worked for that and you're confident in your ability, but to go out and have the stuff play on a stage like that, your first start back, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, that was, it was really special for me, um, especially because I knew, you know, we had a lot, we had a lot of people in town. Obviously, it was the first game of the season. Uh, a lot of, you know, my, my whole family was there. It was against the Tigers organization who my brother was with at the time. Um, there was just a bunch of, you know, factors that were that were piling into it. It was just, you know, it was such a blessing to go out there and be able to have that start. I felt so good. Like, my body felt so good. My I, Mentally, I was in the right place. Um, so just to have it all kind of come to fruition and be able to go out there and have my first, like, I guess you could say official start of the year, my official, you know, opening since coming off the surgery and my first full start going at least five innings. Uh, it, it, like I said, you, you couldn't, it couldn't have gone any better. Having this year, no restrictions. You did spend a little bit of time on the DL, but for the most part, uh, you know, pitched the bulk of the season. What were some of the biggest developments for you this year, whether in terms of different pitch development or different arm slots, command things? What would you say were the biggest ways you grew as a pitcher this year? Yeah, so early on in the season, it was like, you know, I've always been a command guy who can throw strikes with, you know, all my pitches. And so it was kind of, it was a grind early on the season. I was walking more guys than, you know, I, I wanted to. And, I guess it was just coming off. My timing really wasn't great uh, mechanically. There were some things that weren't in sync. I was kind of like jumping forward too much, not staying back as much as I would like to, and kind of pulling off the ball, which led to a lot more walks than I would like to have. Um, but then once I kind of got settled down and kind of got comfortable and got, got back in my routine week in and week out, there was you know a lot of developments for my two seam. That was one of the biggest things I developed this year, being able to command that you know inside to righties, you know, being able to get it off the off the plate and back on to, to righties away and being able to, you know, bring it off the front hip to a lefty, that was one of the biggest pitches I wanted to, to be able to get because I knew um, if I could work that two-seam and command it like I wanted to and have that fastball command, it was going to be a good pitch for me. And the biggest thing for me also was that the change-up. Um, I never – so, like, in college, I never really was a big change-up guy. I was always more of a breaking ball guy. And towards the end of my college career, I started developing the change-up and it got better and better. And then throughout the rehab, Tommy John rehab process, you throw so many fastball changeups, you're not really throwing a lot of breaking balls. My changeup developed so much. And now it got to the point this year where I was getting so many swing and misses on it. And it, it got to the point where there was a lot of starts where it was it was my main go-to pitch. And so for me to be able to come that far with my changeup in, in that short of time, was it was very special to me because um, I knew how big of a pitch that is, especially for a guy who throws a lot of sinkers and kind of has a lot of late life on the, the fastball going into a righty. To be able to tunnel that off a, a changeup is big for me. And also things I wanted to work on, like analytically, were kind of getting my spin rate, my spin axis, and the efficiency on my four seam a lot better. And I made some big leaps with that so I can get um, – because I've always been a guy who could throw pretty hard, but I never got a ton of swing and misses up in the zone. And a lot of that was due to my efficient, efficiency on my fastball. So to be able to get that more efficient and get the axis and the till on that right and all the wrist positions and stuff like that that goes into that, to get that a lot better, to, to be able to get those swing and misses at the top after the zone was big for me. Yeah, you mentioned making adjustments to get those swings and misses, get that spin rate, get that spin axis. Was it more focused on grip changes, You know, where you're releasing on your fingers? How exactly did you make the changes that were recommended once you saw what was going on? Yeah, so it's kind of hard to explain, but for me, my – my wrist position on my four seam was a little bit lower than the ideal wrist position. So when, when I was coming through the zone, my fingers were not necessarily on top of, ball, top, on top of the ball. The tilt was a little bit off. 
so whenever I would throw it, and it would the ball would roll off my fingers. It would come off almost like a two seam. It would have that that depth where it would run more than I would. It would kind of like run away instead of staying like a true spin. It would have that true backspin to where it could stay efficient in the zone. And the hitter, you know, when the hitter sees that four seam and they see the efficient, they see an efficient fastball. They're swinging under it because they think it's going to uh, come a little bit under and it doesn't have the depth that they expect. But when when I was throwing my fastball, when it had about 85% efficiency on it, it would have whatever the hitter was kind of seeing, that's what it was kind of true to what they were guessing. They, they guessed the ball would, would dip a little bit lower in the zone because it wasn't as efficient. It wouldn't stay up in the zone. And so once I figured that out and figured out the right, correct wrist position coming through the zone, it, it kind of changed my, my efficiencies a lot better. And I was getting a lot more swing and misses. And I also shortened up my arm action a little bit. It was a little less long in the back. So I wouldn't have as less, you know, my arm had a lot more torque on it. And it was it was a lot more healthier for my shoulder and my elbow. Um, my mechanics felt a lot more in sync because, I, you know, everything was on time because I sped my arm up instead of having that long, draggy arm action in the back. So everything was more efficient. In terms of building up innings, you mentioned you're figuring out, you know, different things to give your pitches different characteristics. You're changing up your arm action. A big part of this is durability again. It's your first full season back from Tommy John surgery. How did you kind of regulate that in terms of being efficient with your pitches, but also knowing that maybe some days you're not going to go as deep as you want? What was that process like? Yeah, so in the beginning of the year, I had, uh, it was probably for the, I would say up until all-star break, I had a five inning limit so I knew all my starts um you know they were going to stop at five innings so for me it was during that process I knew it was more like just getting building my innings up getting my feet under me going out there and trying to be consistent with all my pitches um until later innings you know and then once I they kind of took those reins off me and I was free to go as far as deep as I wanted to in games and I was starting to go into the seventh and eighth inning towards the second half of the season that then it was like okay now it's trying to learn how to pitch better in the later half of the innings especially because the game definitely changes from the seventh inning on you know outs are a lot bigger um the hitters definitely their approaches change so for me to get in those competitive innings in the seventh and eighth inning and get be able to get back out there that's that's stuff i love to be able to go late in games um and to be a guy who can eat innings and so for me um to be able to go back out there in the seventh and eighth inning and, and be able to get those big outs was huge for me and so uh, once I finally got to do that in the second half, it was it was a lot of fun. And um, like I said, one of my goals going into this off that that season was was to reach 100 innings. And you know, I ended up doing that with the playoffs in Trenton, uh, and I finished off with more than 100 innings coming off the Tommy John. So that was one of my biggest goals coming into that year, and I ended up accomplishing it. Yeah, not only did you just you know get to Double A Trenton, but you finished strong there. Uh, your second start there, six and two thirds scoreless innings, no walks, nine strikeouts. Second start there, seven scoreless innings, three hits, no walks, five strikeouts. Seeing the success play at the upper levels as quick as it did, what was that feeling like for you? And was it a sense of, okay, I'm I'm back? And then again, you followed up with it in the postseason as well. Yeah, it was um, – I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm back. I kind of knew, you know, like I'm a confident guy and I'm, I'm confident in my ability, so I knew what I was capable of doing. And once I was kind of getting those consistent starts in, going deep in games and, and feeling really good, I was feeling really healthy at the time. Um, and so, you know, to be able to go out there and string those good starts together, it was like, okay, yeah. It was not a sense that I'm back, but it was like, all right, I'm here. Like, you can see what I'm doing. Like, I'm capable of doing this. And it, and it is, 
you know, you kind of pat yourself on the back. It's like, okay, well, you always have these question marks. Everybody's like, the biggest, the hardest leap is from high to double A. And, you know, they're like, that's the biggest adjustment period. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to use that and, and kind of show these guys that I can, I can, I'm able to get outs at the upper levels and do it on a consistent basis. And so for me to go out there and put out those numbers and, and, and get outs and during those starts, like, a, like you were saying, those stat lines, it was, it was a lot of fun. And for me to be able to show not only myself, but others that I can do it. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Now I did notice you did miss a month from the end of May through the end of June. What happened there? Uh, so the first I had, I guess you could say technically I had two DL stints. The first DL stint was um, I don't I don't remember. I think it might have been in April or something. It was actually like an infection I got in one of the locker rooms in the Florida State League. It was like a skin infection. Um, so that like I was completely healthy at the time, they just wanted me to miss a start because you know I, I couldn't pitch at the time. So that was one of my DL stints. And then this the second one, I had a little uh, like some forearm inflammation. Um, it was just like kind of minor stuff that was like that you kind of things like that pop up a little bit after you know, especially when you're throwing a lot of innings. And I, I think at the time I had like 60 innings, and so for me there was just a little inflammation and it led to me missing a few weeks and, and they wanted to take it a little slow especially you're a little hypersensitive after tommy john so it um you kind of pay attention a little bit more to the the small things that pop up after starts and so they wanted to give me a little rest and after that it was um i was kind of cut loose and, and good to go yeah i mean was that a little scary you're coming off of tommy john you're feeling good and all of a sudden form inflammation that can sometimes you know be symptoms of a bigger problem was it scary yeah it was i, I mean so where it was at on my forearm, it wasn't like around the scar or wherever it was coming from. It was around on my opposite side of my forearm, so it was a, it was really weird. It was a real like a kind of a funky thing. Um, so as far as like as the the UCL goes, I wasn't too concerned about that because I kind of you know I felt like it wasn't something that was structural. It felt like it was kind of like a muscular thing, and thankfully you know it was. And so it, it definitely is scary at the time. Whenever you have coming off of surgery, you're, you you freak out about every little thing. Um, just because, you know, you've been through the rehab process and you just get healthy and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this thing again. Um, so yeah, I was thankful that, you know, it was all good and I got the green light to go back out there and pitch. And once you got the green light, you clearly uh, made the most of it, getting up to double A, pitching well through the Eastern League playoffs and rising up on the prospect list. Now, as you move into 2020, what are your goals for the upcoming season? Yeah, so no, the main goal, obviously for me is to, to, be a major leaguer this this upcoming year i want to make it to i want to make it to the big level and you know i want to i want to not only make it i want to be, be a contributor there i feel like you know you know i'm capable what i'm capable of i trust my abilities and and trust you know my work ethic and the, the work that i put on off the field is going to show on the field um you know so i want to be able to go out there and, and be of a contributor in new york and, and be a, and be able to get big outs and big situations I, I love pitching in those situations and in front of the bright lights and the big stadiums and stuff like that some that, that's the kind of stuff I like to to thrive off of and so that's my number one goal is to be a contributor at the major league level this upcoming year and, and another thing is just to be healthy you know I want to have continue to get a lot of innings and continue to eat innings and show these guys that I can I can throw a lot of innings so for me I want to have another 100 100 plus inning season um be able to start at the higher levels of, and, and have a good spring training and show these guys what I'm capable of and then be a major contributor at the major league level. Well, it's certainly something a lot of fans in New York would love to see. And obviously, uh, you know, after everything you've been through, it would be a tremendous accomplishment. And we look forward to seeing what the future holds. Clark, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We appreciate you jumping on with us. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for having me.
Once again, that was Clark Schmidt, the Yankees' right-handed pitching prospect, ranked number two in their system, and great to have him on. Obviously an incredible story, and we really appreciate him taking the time to join us. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. It's always a joy to do these, and we look forward to continuing to churn more of them out. Stay tuned. We have another big prospect podcast coming up, as well as Top 10 Prospects podcast for the rest of baseball. All of the NLEs are now posted Three of the five ALEs are posted and more on the way. Once again, for Clark Schmidt, I'm Kyle Glazer. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.